Rachel Maurice is a gun violence prevention advocate for several nonprofit organizations such as Moms Demand Action, Every Town Survivor Network, The Rebels Project, and Court Appointed Special Advocates, CASA. She enjoys working in peer support networks, helping other survivors of gun violence, most of those who are affected by high school shootings. Let's welcome her. And welcome back, Grief Nation listeners. Today on our show, we have a very special guest, Rachel Maurice. And our segment today is Everytown Network Survivors Fellow Story Sharing. Hello, Rachel. How are you? Hi, Miami. I'm doing great. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Um, We're going to dive right in and talk about your story. Would you like to please share? Yes, sure. Again, like you said, my name is Rachel Maurice, and I'm here to talk about my survivor story. Um, When I was 16 years old in 2001, I was a junior at Santana High School in Santee, California, um, which is in San Diego County. And on that morning, March 5th, 2001, a um, 14-year-old classmate of mine, freshman, came onto campus that day with a gun and he um, committed a mass murder. He intended to, um, quote unquote, what he wanted to do was pull a Columbine at our school. Mm -hmm. And he was um, successful in that. He shot a total of 15 people one unarmed security guard, a, a couple of teachers, other classmates, and then he shot and killed two other students. Um, one of those students was a very dear friend of mine, Randy Gordon, who was 17 years old at the time. The other student that he shot and killed was a freshman uh, classmate of his. And, um, you know, and just... I'm here to talk about just the devastating impacts that that has had on my life, yeah. having had been exposed to such extreme violence mm-hmm. in 2001, back before there was really um, any outlet or any venue to talk about it. Back then, um, you know, it was a fairly newer trend, unfortunately, of mass violence happening. And, you know, and the devastating part is that it was, I was 16. And so that's really what brought me into my own. That's kind of how I became an adult. You know, in that very short day, I learned um, very quickly the importance of life and death, having just gone through that experience and having been exposed to seeing um, someone, a dear friend of mine, take their last breaths at school, a place where we should be safe and um, you know, and that just really impacted my life. And for, for many, many years, I did not talk about my experience there because it was too, it was too traumatic and I couldn't even put words to how I was feeling. My feelings were so overwhelming, um, when I would think about it that I just couldn't even bring myself to put words to that. 
And so it's been just recently, just these past couple of years that I've really started to um, delve into my own healing and kind of going through that process and then realizing in that process how many others suffer in silence. And that's something that's really important to me is just breaking that silence and really talking about the needs of survivors and um, straying away from talking about, you know, the shooter and their, you know, their impact and their needs. Um, because unfortunately, all too often, people remember the shooter's names on these and they far less remember the victim's names. And so my main goal is to try to change that and try to share and talk about you know my friend randy as much as possible so that his memory and the life he wanted to lead is something that leaves a lasting impact and not the shooters um yeah and i will share in my story i was a witness to everything happening so i was right there in the quad um, when the shoot shooting started happening and I did not take cover for quite some time. Um, the shooting lasted for a total of six minutes. And in that six minutes, um, it was a revolver that he used and he was able to reload his gun about four times in that six minutes. Um, and then he, he let off about 36 rounds into um you know a small quad of students mm. at that time there was 1900 students you know in total um that attended our school and students and administrators so that included all of our teachers and the students itself so for san diego standards a fairly small school for some other areas that might be kind of a large school mm -hmm. um you know but but like i said the he, his intent was to commit suicide by cop that day, but, um, you know, fortunately, unfortunately, however you want to look at it, he did not do that. Um, he ended up surrendering when the police got there, mm -hmm. and when the police did get there, they did not shoot shoot him um, since he did surrender, and he is currently in prison in California, serving a. It was supposed to be a two life sentence, um, but there's been some legislative changes in California that do not make him eligible for serving a life sentence because of his age, since he was 14 at the time. They, um, there was a law passed that allowed him for early release. And so we are now looking, Originally, we were not supposed to go back to court until 2050, when he would have at least served one life sentence by then, but um, or both of them. And then, but now we were notified, uh, in fact, just last year, that he is going to be eligible for parole as early as 2025. So I'm currently in that process of just gathering up as many classmates of mine. Um, a lot of us maybe didn't use our voices and didn't speak at court back then, but a lot of us have gathered um, and written victim impact statements as he's still, even though he's gotten an earlier um, parole hearing, he actually applied to the governor for clemency last year. So he's even trying to get out even earlier than originally um, stated. So I utilized my voice last year and wrote my first victim impact statement. And for me, that was the first time that kind of opened up 
you know, all these wounds. Mm -hmm. But in that same time, what I realized about speaking about something so tragic, it also um, was a very bittersweet pill because it's also brought on the ability for me to have some healing in my life from just speaking about it and acknowledging it. And it's so powerful to speak, Um, even though it's a devastating thing, it's so very powerful and very healing to speak on it. you know, when you've experienced something like that. And so that's something that I hope to share with others that they can utilize their voice in even just a small way, you know, but I have found my voice fortunately in some great advocacy movements uh, that have really given me a sense of purpose and really made me feel like I'm using the tragic situation to hopefully stop those things from happening in the future and stop another 16 year old um, you know, from having to live a life like mine. And yeah. so that's really my hope today is to be able to share that word and how healing it is and how powerful your voice can be. Absolutely. T- share with us, like you, you were 16 years old. So from 16 to before you, um, decided that, you know, it was very prevalent that you should begin sharing your story what what was what what were you going through during those times for for individuals other individuals that are out there that have i mean there's um i think the statistical um research is like over 194 uh, mass shootings since I, I i think it was 2000 i couldn't remember one or something i can't remember but um there there are so many of these mass shootings so what did you experience so other people really really have the understanding of what you've gone through all of these years? Yeah, I, you know, it's so tragic because I lived in such a, um, in such a, a bubble of fear before that I didn't even realize how, how much of an impact it had on me. For instance, uh, one of the things that would, that I would often do is when I would go out to restaurants or go to a crowded place or things um, of that nature where there was a lot of people around, it always, it amplified me and it made me more hyper aware. And so it would put me in this space where I was looking for the exits. I had this very, this very um this very much need to like go to if i'm gonna go to a new place i have to walk the floor basically and i have to look for all the exits and i have to be close to one because i want to feel like i'm facing the exit so that Mm -hmm. if something happens i know where to go and i can run to it and i always have to go and check to see if the doors are locked if they're unlocked um so that i don't feel like i'm gonna get trapped in the situation and for so many years i did that and i had no realization that it was a connection to what my experience was mm-hmm. uh, until till many years later when i found out that you know really what i was experienced was um post-traumatic stress yeah. you know and then being able to really get some some access to some good therapy to really help me get through those things and help me to acknowledge and feel that. And then the the other thing that I would do is emotions were very difficult for me to feel. Um, so I would just tend to ignore the negative emotions. But the flip side to that, when you choose to ignore those negative emotions, you don't allow your body to feel good emotions either. 
Mm -hmm. So not only do you, you, you know, you think you're doing yourself a favor by not, you know, experiencing those negative emotions, but it actually prevents you from feeling true happiness mm -hmm. and true, you know, joyous moments. Yeah. And, um, and so that was very difficult. And I also have two daughters and I remember when my oldest daughter, when I was taking her to kindergarten for the first time, I could not bring myself to take her. And to this day, it's something that I regret. I wish that I could have gone, but I didn't even realize back then what what the problem was. Her, I had to have her go with her dad and her dad took her to her first day of school, but I was so scared mm -hmm. that I was never gonna see her again um, that I just couldn't go. I couldn't bring myself to get onto a campus. And up until that point, I had not gone back to a school campus. I didn't have to. And so part of my fear was having to relive and be on a school campus yeah. um, and having to, it, to get that exposure because for me, it was such a, a, a bad place mm -hmm. um, where I had some traumatic experiences. And so I just didn't want to re-expose myself to that. And, and that's something that still to this day, I work on uh, when I have to go to my daughter's performances or things at school, I really have to be very mindful. I have to do a lot of breathing techniques to get myself through it. But even when I'm there, I'm very antsy. Um, and it's very difficult for me to be in an enclosed space on a school campus. And it's very difficult for me to be there when I hear a bell ring, because that's definitely a trigger for me. Because our shooting happened um, when a bell rang. And then when I did run for cover, I ended up being uh, locked inside of a classroom for four hours that day. Uh, wow. And this was pre-cell phones, so we didn't have the ability to have that connection. Uh, in fact, when I was stuck in that classroom, I was watching what was happening um, as they were apprehending the shooter. I was watching it on TV from inside the classroom, you know, being there thinking like, when are we going to get let out, you know, and, and don't forget about us, especially as I was hearing, you know, the school's been cleared. I, I was one of the last students taken off campus that day. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the reports had showed, had been saying like the school's cleared, the school's cleared. And I was super worried because I'm like, no, we're still in here, you know, come let us out. Yeah. Um, and that fear of not knowing if there was just one shooter, if it was multiple mm -hmm. and all just the fears of the unknowns. So, oh, wow, goodness, uh, I'm so sorry you had to experience that. And um, just the complication of the process um, and the anticipatory piece of it and just the what's to come later. You know, it's just uh, it's there's just a lot. If you if we were even to talk about the, diff the variations of grief um, in your story, um, I can just Lord, I just, I just, mm. you have my heart, honey. I'm so sorry you had to experience that. One thing that stood out um, that you shared about your daughter or, or you, you having to go back to the schools, um, how do you feel about that now as far as um, the drills are, are they're preparing children um, for these types of incidents? And how do you feel about that? Yeah, you know, I personally, having gone through something like that before mm -hmm. there was drills happening, mm -hmm. um, 
I just, I honestly think it's causing more stress on our young folks out there than needed. I mean, I think there's, um, there's nothing wrong with just sharing the possibility, but having to experience that and go through that, I can share with you that my daughter tells me that it brings up so much anxiety in her, so much so to where a lot of times when they have those drills, she'll call me or she'll go straight to the nurse's office because she'll start having a migraine. Um, and, and she's not alone in that. It's not just because her mom's a survivor. Mm-hmm. She very much knows my story. I've shared it with her. Mm-hmm. But it's it's just the anxiety and the fear that that brings on to children. And I just don't understand why we do that. You know, why do we do that um, in this world where they've all heard it, they've all seen it. I don't see why they have to do it so frequently. Yeah. Um, and I don't understand that. And I wish they would give a little bit more notice so that for those parents who maybe don't want their kids to have yeah. to go through those drills, um, maybe they can do that. I'm, I'm all for education and sharing with our young folks, but I think there's a better way to do it than putting themselves out there. That's like us as adults. Like we don't need to go out there and pretend a gunman's coming in for offices. I mean, that's traumatic to think about, you Mm -hmm. know, I think sharing and learning some tips, run, hide, fight, those things are, you know, different. Um, And in fact, every town has a great lesson plans on, you know, gun violence and ways, things that they can do for our young people. And I think there's a lot better ways than just traumatizing our children and I think that's all we're doing yes thank you so much thank you thank you for sharing that because that's important um especially like you said not just because you know she knows that her mother which still can be traumatizing and triggering for her but for her experience just at the age that she's at um not understanding why we we you know i of course we've heard it we've seen it but why do i need to do this at school and re-traumatize myself and my friends with this um that that's got to be so disheartening for um any child at any age to um to do that or that it's recommended i i just don't understand um but that's why we're fighting so hard trying to you know um make different policies and create you know um and not have these um, certain bills pass. And that's why we're here. That's why we do what we do. So thank you so much for sharing that. Can you please share um, some information about Randy and who he was and your friendship? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Randy was just a really great friend of mine. In fact, I, so just to to be clear, and so everybody knows, I'm very much an introvert. And so, um, so I share that for a couple reasons. One, because if I can do this and speak out and use a voice, then definitely anybody can do that. Mm -hmm. Because I'm the last person on the planet that would do that. But like I said, I'm motivated by external factors Mm -hmm. other than my own. Um, But Randy he was such a great person. In fact, he, um, him and I had been friends since the time I was a freshman in school. And so we um, got to know each other. We hung out every day at school and um, we did a lot of great things together. We liked to always talk about things we were gonna do in the future. And we were very much living for what was gonna happen after school. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he had already enrolled himself into the um, Navy and he was going to go into the armed services after high school. 
And so, of course, he didn't get to do that, but um, the Navy did do some very good things for the ship that he was going to get um, out on, and he did get to have a full um, honorary burial through the Navy because he had already committed himself, you know, to that service. And um, so that was just a really great thing. He always wanted to help other people, and he was very much like a big brother to me you know, in my school. And um, some of my favorite memories as, you know, as interesting as it is, it's just that we like to be at school and we really like to talk about how things were gonna be in 20 years. Like, wow, when we come back to our reunion, what's this gonna look like? You know, what are, you know, what are things gonna be like and stuff? And so um, we spent a lot of time on that and just a lot of time on, you know, cause I wasn't, I was, I had an idea of what I wanted to do, but I really wasn't sure, yeah. you know, at that time. But I always honored and admired his um, willingness and wanting to serve other people. Wow. Gosh. Sounds like such an amazing young man. Yeah. Um, wow. Um, who was your support system? And also, did you immediately let them in to help you? Yeah, I would say, you know, um, early on, I did not have that strong of a support system only because what I chose to do was I chose not to speak about it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to talk to a lot of people about it. I, I just, I didn't want to burden other people. Mm-hmm. And so um, I didn't use a big platform or anything um, and utilize any of that. I went to a counselor for a little bit early on um, but it's really been more recently that I have found some survivor groups mm-hmm. that I've been a part of that have really been my support system. And now my family's a huge support system for me. Um, and since I've been, you know, speaking out about it. And one of the interesting parts about that is the more I've realized how much people want to help mm-hmm. or how many others out there can be helped by your story and how many others are suffering you know, um, feeling that they're alone, you know, because they're, they're experiencing something and not everybody wants to talk about you and I talked earlier, like, when do you bring this up? It's not really dinner table talk that you're going to share. Oh yeah. By the way. Yeah. And, and because you could speak to this, how do you think your parents were able to process this? Your, how did your household, yeah. you know, deal with this situation? I mean, you know, this is just such a tragedy, but how were, how was it for your parents? Yeah, you know, it was, it was very traumatic for them too. And I know for, um, for my mom, it was really hard because she felt very much um, that she just wanted me to go back and overcome my fear. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, having been a junior at the time, I didn't want to go back to school. I couldn't yeah. go back to the place that I had witnessed all this stuff and just having to see that over and over again. Um, And this was early on before they knew maybe a lot about PTSD for, especially for young kids. At that time, I think they were focusing more on the military and stuff. Mm -hmm. But my mom was very much, no, you need to go back. You need to be there. You need to confront your fears because she thought I would regret it later on. And I just couldn't, I could not do that. Um, My dad chose to just say, he just said, you know, I know that when you're ready, you'll talk about it. And so he just left it on me, but that puts a lot on a 16 year old. That's a lot of responsibility to put on a child. Um, You know, and so, and I don't know if things would have been different if someone forced me to maybe talk about it and explore that. 
more. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. It's it's kind of hard to say, but I think that um, you know everybody deals with things different, and it was very much a traumatic experience for my family. Yeah, is they didn't know what to do, right. and there was not a lot of resources out there to share with them. Hey, this is what you should do. Mm-hmm. You know, and then the other thing is our school. Um, we the shooting happened on a Monday morning. The school was closed down for that Tuesday. And then we went back to school Wednesday. So we didn't have, so it was very much like an active crime scene still when we went back to school just two days later. Again, it was a little different. um, And we did have the support of um, Columbine survivors back then. They had, some of the teachers had reached out to us. Uh, In fact, one of the memories I have the most is um, some a group of Columbine survivors had mailed us a teddy bear. So we all got a teddy bear. And I remember the feeling of, wow, this came from somebody who knows exactly what I'm going through. Yeah. And I guess early on, I wish I would have had a better connection to be able to, to realize how important that peer support was, mm-hmm. you know, and, and how um, insightful Columbine was to know that, hey, they, they knew they could reach out to others who had been through that same experience, yeah. you know, and so, um, so maybe I wish I had more of that before, mm-hmm. you know, but I, I didn't, um, or I did a little bit, but I remember the strength that I got just from that teddy bear. Yeah. Knowing, hey, if somebody else, somebody else knows my pain and feels it and can go through this, then I very much can survive this as well. Yeah, that's why I love um, being a part of, um, and I want you to speak on the, your advocacy work. That's why I love being a part of both of those um, entities because um, peer support is the best support for us, you know, um, because who better is going to be able to tell us or share with us um, the experiences uh, outside of, you know, outside of someone that hasn't gone through it, but um, especially people that have experienced mm-hmm. such um, tragedy or um, just dealing with gun violence and, and having that, that peer support of someone else that actually understands. So, um, yes, please share your advocacy work and um, both of the organizations that you're a part of, well, all three organizations yeah. that you're a part of. Yeah, sure. So um, some of the stuff that I like to be a part of is that peer support group. There are a couple of different organizations that are out there, mm-hmm. but a couple that I have found the most helpful is, um, one, the Rebels Project they are a peer support group for mass violence survivors. So, um, and that's of all kinds. It doesn't just have to be a school shooting like mine, Mm -hmm. but um, we have established a network there and that was founded, co-founded by a Columbine survivor after the Aurora theater shooting happening and realizing that, you know, there needed to be some type of peer support network for mass violence survivors. But then um, also there's a couple other advocacy groups that I have been a part of, which uh, Moms Demand Action is one that I have been uh, a part of. And then through that, the Everytown Survivor Network. And those have really allowed me, they have put some action into things that um, a feeling of, you know, being able to take back and take control and do something about it. I think so many times the tragedy about being in a, being a survivor of gun violence, whether you were directly or indirectly impacted by it, 
um, is just that feeling of not being able to do anything or not doing it. You know, there's nothing you can do when as in reality, there's a lot we can do because un the unfortunate reality is still nationally, the most recent statistics we have are 13,890 people die every year by gun homicide on a national average. Mm -hmm. And that's way too many people. That's for every one person, that's thousands of people that that impacts, you know? And so we can see that this is a widespread um, impact and and really it's not a just one one um, type it really impacts everybody yeah it goes across all you know nationalities and it goes across all you know socioeconomic um, boundaries as well and it really can it, it just is too much and so being able to really have that voice and take part in um, advocacy day and really being able to change the the trend and really implement some things that are some like gun sense laws out there um, has really been a huge impact, you know, for me. And I, I really enjoy having that voice and feeling like I can do something about it. Now, how can someone join or um, can be a part of Moms Demand? Yes, um, they can definitely be a part of it by texting HONOR to 64433 mm -hmm. and they can get more information we are a vast majority group and so i can guarantee almost any town you're in there is going to be a group close by that you can join and even in these uncertain times that we're in um, through the covid 19 epidemic we are still meeting and they've very very much been a support to me right now during this time because we're having um still virtual zoom meetings and different things like that to really help us um get through you know such a time like this and it makes you feel less alone in fact we feel more connected to be able to see each other and be part of things and really have that support and they provide a tremendous amount of support especially if you're a survivor you have free access to the ability to get some telehealth and some mental health um, and i just really would encourage anybody out there who hasn't reached out and really opened up about their story to know that they're not alone you know that they there's thousands of others out there um, that really know what they're experiencing and it's such a you know just it's it's such a huge family out there that you just it's an instant bond and an instant connection that i can just share um you know a hug from another survivor to survivor is just a such a different feeling than you get from anybody else and it's just that common thread in that ability to to not have to voice you know certain things and just that ability to just be like wow you know what i feel like and i can't even verbalize it but you know and you just have that connection and it's it's a huge deep bond that i would really really encourage anybody even if you're an introvert like me <laughs> to really step out there and really reach out because there's thousands of us that want to help Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that. Everything yeah. you said was totally true. Yeah. <laughs> I, I kept smiling because I'm like, yes, yeah. this is exactly how you feel. So yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I had asked um, what inspires you? And I'm going to quote you here. It just says, just knowing that there are thousands of others who feel alone in their journey and uh, in their grief and journey inspired me to speak up. 
I have spent the last couple of years sharing my story and reaching far and wide to help others know they are not alone. And I just so appreciate you for um, just sharing and, and to be open enough to share. And finally, you know, getting over that, um, getting over the hump of saying, you know, I, I don't think I can do it, but I can do it. And I, I, I don't think I can say it enough. Just, you know, thank you for sharing your story because like you've said, um, you're not alone. There's so many of us, um, unfortunately, that have um, experienced um, gun violence um, and it, it, it trickles throughout our families and down to our children and um, our spouses, our friends, um, can you speak to just a little bit on how does how did this um, how did how did this disrupt friendships for you? Because that's kind of important. Now you have this, you know, you have um, other moms and other individuals that have had similar loss. But how did that affect you during the time period that this this happened for you and friendships or building friendships so that people do understand that because it's important. Yeah, and it's um, it's really difficult. Uh, being an introvert, like I shared, was already kind of a difficult thing for me anyway. And just um, having lost a friend like that, Randy, I guess I always had that fear of like, oh my gosh, I don't want to have this close connection and this close bond because I don't want to feel that pain again mm -hmm. of losing somebody because that pain is so, so um, detrimental. And, you know, just... It, it really does impact you. I can share that the longer you hold it in and the longer you don't deal with it, it really does have the unfortunate ability to impact your everyday life and impact the way you, the way in which you establish friendships or the way in which you, you keep them at hand's length. And I will share that's one thing I had done is that I kept people at arm's length. Yeah. Um, because I just, I wanted them close, but not too close because I didn't want to experience that fear, you know, again. And so, so, um, just having that fear and keeping that away, I've shared this before too, is that the sad part about that is, yeah, it maybe keeps you away from establishing tight bonds, but then it also keeps you away from feeling true happiness yeah. and, um, great things as well. And because we all need that and crave that human interaction and nobody is meant to go through this life alone, you know? And so it's so important to have those bonds and to have that um, close connection, human connection with people because, um, and you need to feel it to heal it. <laughs> that's, right. that's one of the, the most, you know, eye-opening things that I realized that, wow, you know, until I had the opportunity and the gumption to be able to feel it, mm -hmm. you know, I didn't, um, I didn't realize how, how much that would change my life in, uh, into such a positive thing. Yeah. And it was something I ran away from for so long that it really has been a positive change. And I now do have those deeper connections with people, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and that um, friendship with other people. And I'm able to, to help that because I didn't realize how much my voice or my story might help others. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for sharing that. What's next for your journey? 
I think the thing that's next for me for sure is just continuing to use my voice to share with other people because I can't say it enough that people are not alone. Um, my experience is definitely unique to me and only I can share my story the way I can share it. But that same is true for others out there as well. And there is such a connection, whether you were in a high school shooting or maybe another mass shooting or just even a one-on-one -on -one you know, individual shooting, not quite as mass, there's still connection mm -hmm. there that we can all utilize our voices. Um, and I think, you know, continuing to advocate for certain things in our states is really important because we, we can't let it stop. We can't, I don't want to stop until there's no lives lost, you know, and there's just like I shared way too many out there. Um, so continuing the fight to just do common sense gun laws, you know, background checks. There's still far too many states where it's just far too easy to access firearms for the people that shouldn't have it. And you can do that without violating people's rights, you know, and that's, that's very much something that's possible. So continuing those advocacy efforts is something that is not going away from me until there's no, no lives lost. Absolutely. And what is your favorite quote? Yeah, um, my favorite quote is actually um, going through, you know, and I, I think I, I wrote it to you. So can you read it? Because I, I always, I think I'll forget. I'll get tongue-tied, but sure, it's one sure, of sure. I'm a great friend and um, fellow survivor, I know. The only way out is through. I thought that was so amazing. I like that. Yeah. The only way out is through. Why, why would yep. you say so? Yeah, and that's great because it really is. You can't you can't get out of something unless you go through it. And so it's kind of still that similar thing. Um, and I credit that to Amy O'Neill, who's a survivor of um, of another mass incident. And she, you know, I just I enjoy that because you really have to go through something mm -hmm. to be able to do that. And you know, one thing I want to share is I don't. You didn't realize how brave and how much courage it takes to go through something like that, to be able to utilize your voice. And so for anybody who fears that they can't do it um, or they have no value or their voice is not gonna change anything, it really matters because we have the ability to impact change. And in my time speaking with legislators up and down the state um, and across the country really, sharing them that personal connection that really tugs at people's heartstrings yeah. mm -hmm. and that's really what effectuates change Absolutely. you know and so um there's definitely networks and outlets to get through that and i would encourage people to really get involved thank you so much and how can others reach you what's your social media platform yeah so i am on instagram um and it's i, I can be reached at ram 0919 on there a lot of my advocacy things are on that social media page i'm also on facebook just rachel maurice on facebook as well and so i would encourage people um feel free to call you know message me on there i am definitely willing to help you get in touch with maybe a survivor group or or touch you one-on-one -on -one, hopefully um if you've experienced something like like that or you want to be able to share your story um I'm definitely willing and always an ear for those who need someone to talk to. Okay. 
Okay, thank you so much. And before I let you go, share just another memory about Randy, um, one of your favorite memories um, of him again with us. Yeah, sure. Um, one of my favorite memories is he just always had this ability to make me laugh. And he had an infectious laugh. Mm -hmm. That is something um, that it was just, it was very touching and near and dear to my heart because I've never heard that laugh before. And one of my favorite things is um, just being able to hear that laugh. And one of the things we shared in common, at least back then, um, for sure was the comic books. And we really loved comic books and those kind of series and things like that. And so just being able to give back and help somebody else, he always definitely put aside his own feelings and his own things he was going through to help others. And he, he always thought it was very important to help others, even if they felt like they didn't want it or need it. Um, because he always said that it was just so much better to help some other people because that alone made himself feel better about his own situations. Wow. Thank you so much once again, Rachel, um, for sharing your, both of your stories and you're definitely honoring him as well by doing the exact things that you just said um, who he was and you're definitely paying for it you know giving back um, doing all of the things that he was and, and also helping yourself heal um, throughout this entire process of, of you still being a great survivor and, and sharing your story and helping others along the way um, before I let you go I always ask my um, guests um, is there anything else that you can think of that you would like to bring awareness to or see some type of change in, within your community? Yeah, I think the biggest thing I would like to bring awareness to is just the ever-changing um, laws when it comes to people in prison. Because, for instance, my shooter, he is eligible for um, a youthful, youthful parole and being able to do that. And that's really something that is going across the country. And so I really, it started in California. And unfortunately in 2016, there was a youthful offender parole, um, you know, uh, legislation that happened retroactively. So anybody who was under the age of 26 at the time they committed their crime is eligible for what's called a youthful offender. Parole. So that means they're not eligible to be able to be in prison for life. Um, that's unlawful. And then everybody whose sentence had that got it restructured and resentenced. And so just that restructuring and how much of an impact that has on victims' lives is something that I just encourage people to, um, as it comes to their state, you know, to really look at those and really utilize your voice at the polls. Um, there's an upcoming election even this year, you know, that I think that people really should follow and look at gun sense candidates for their for their jurisdictions and really look at um, the every town you know, uh, online website, go on to Moms Demand Action if you want some stats and some, mm -hmm. some statistics on being able to find out who those gun sense candidates are so that you can go to the poll with knowledge. You know, knowledge is power and we can utilize our voices there. Wow, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing all of your wealth of knowledge and um, just getting us through this process of, you know, um, the traumatic 
experience that you have, but you are so resilient in, in all of your efforts that you're doing. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Miami. You're welcome. Well, there you have it, Grief Nation listeners, and thank you for tuning in to another transformative segment on It's the Miami Night Show Grief Talk. Today, we give thanks, feel, with love, and gratitude for our special guest, Rachel Maurice, for expressing your very unique grief journey and sharing ways of understanding the healing process. This is your girl, Miami Knight, with much love and light until we connect again spiritually.